Chad and Jay Mansbridge here, lead pastors of Bayside Church International, based here on the south coast of South Australia. Our great passion as a church is to help people to know Jesus and to demonstrate his love, truth and life in everything that we do. We hope you enjoy today's message. Thank you, thank you. Uh, we're up together because if you have been coming for a few weeks, you know we're going through the book of Ephesians and uh, something a bit new. We're actually, every week we've read at least a chapter. Today is going to be about a chapter and a half. Um, so that over these six weeks, we have had the privilege of reading out loud the whole epistle as it would have been presented back in its day. And you, of course, have the privilege of hearing the spoken Word. So John is going to be reading, I've chosen the NIV this morning, and he's reading from chapter 5, verse 21, all through to the end of chapter 6, because we are finishing up our series today, called Better Together. Listen to the word, receive the word. Thank you, John. Thank you. Thank you. Our hearts ready? <laughs> Our hearts are ready for God's word. Verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Or maybe we should say, out of reverence for Christ, submit to one another. Wives, out of reverence for Christ, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ... So also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, in reverence for Christ, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, in reverence for Christ, mm. obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, out of reverence for Christ, did not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Slaves, out of reverence for Christ, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, 
whether he is slave or free. And masters, out of reverence for Christ, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours in heaven, and there is no favouritism with him. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers. And love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Thank you, Lord. For excellent. Such a excellent. Word. Excellent. Good word. A lot of wisdom in there, isn't there? Big passage. So, obviously, I'm not going to talk about every word that was just read out. But if I was just to, first of all, perhaps give a little highlight reel of wisdom from some of, that, some of those words that we did here. Chapter 5 and verse 33. Hubby loves me and I respect him. That's wisdom. And just on that, if the chocolate box is still available. <laughs> Wednesday of this week, 38 years. Thank you very much. I think it's Alex that deserves the chocolate, but never mind. Uh, more wisdom, more wisdom. We've just got a highlight reel. Chapter 6 and verse 2. I will honour my parents. If you're younger in the house today, do you know that doesn't stop when you move out of home? And if you're older in the house today, I appreciate that not everyone still has this opportunity. But then I look to you to hold me accountable to honour my parents. Chapter 6 and verse 7, as we serve others, what a privilege to do so as unto him. 
And then we've arrived at my favourite part, which is chapter 6, verses 10 through 18, quite possibly headlined in your Bible as the armour of God. Well, the armour of God equips us to pray. Have you seen that before? It equips us to pray. I hadn't recognised that. It prepares us to pray with a confident enthusiasm and faith for each other. But before I explore that further, I want to just talk about how this imagery of armour has even come about. So Paul, it says several times that he's in chains at this time. I don't know whether that means he's got a, a Roman soldier very close or he's certainly had enough experience with Roman soldiers that he can visualise immediately what they look like decked out in their full armour. So Paul remembers or is looking at a Roman soldier and Holy Spirit either prompts him or perhaps just partners with Paul's natural imagination to see a spiritual significance. And I love this. I love that the Bible is not God's only way of communicating with us. He uses the natural world in which we live. He uses our imagination. Now, that being said, if it's a, a truth, if it's a word that we think the Lord has spoken and it's not from the Bible, it needs to line up with the Bible. Okay, We're not creating new doctrine. Truth must always be sourced and found, substantiated, proven in the Bible. So what could God use in your day-to-day -day natural world to speak to you? Maybe something will catch your attention. Maybe you will find something is very repetitive. Honestly, that's how God speaks to me. It's just, do you know women? We nag because God nags. <laughs> Let there be freedom in the house. I find that God is so repetitive with me. That's how he catches my attention. I don't know how many times I miss it, but suddenly I'll, oh, God, that's you. Okay, so it might be something that grabs your attention. It might just because it's so repetitive. Just take a moment to observe and to think. Maybe engage your imagination as well. What might God be saying to you through that? Well, Paul is speaking in chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. And he says... Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Well, I like to know what things mean. So you can take your stand. What does that actually mean? Well, some other translations kind of help round it out. They use some different words, gives us a better picture. It means that we're willing and able to stop the devil's schemes. Willing is good. Able is great. But we are willing and able. We're both of them. We are willing and able to stop the devil's schemes. That's what it means when we can take a stand against. Now, I hope this is not a news flash, but the devil is not our friend. His agenda, I have, a, I have a hit list on the devil. His agenda is to rob, kill and destroy, deceive and distract, accuse 
and confuse, mess with our emotions and motivation. He can consume us and uh, make us uncomfortable with pointless busyness. Or on the flip side, he tranquilizes us with apathy. Not our friend. His friends, uh, pardon me, his friends, his attacks are always targeted at our new nature in Jesus. And he's always trying to make us doubt the immeasurable and constant love the Father has for us. Well, Paul makes it more specific in verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, interesting idea, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, to stand. If you've heard me preach before, you know I read the word, I ask questions. Questions are okay. When is the day of evil? Anybody got it marked in your calendar? Because that's the day I want to stay home. When is the day of evil? Well, it reminds me of the account in Numbers 13 when 12 spies went to check out the promised land. And scripture says that 10 of them came back with an evil report that they reported what they saw was not evil. But they came back and reported, we cannot do it. They disagreed with the word of the Lord. That was the evil report. Evil report, evil day. It explains a conflict with the plans and purposes of God. It explains a conflict with the hope and promises that are in his word. That's an evil day. It's a commission given to all of us to put on the full armour of God. And the reason why is in verse 18. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind... With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Sounds like better together to me. Me praying for you, you praying for me, us praying for others, better together. So as we look more closely now, now that we know the reason why, as we look more closely now at the armour of God, Hopefully, we're going to see three things. We're going to think about the locational positioning of the armour. We're going to think about how the pieces of armour relate to our new nature in Jesus and how all these observations are going to help us pray more confidently and effectively. I want to pray effectively. I'm not interested in flapping my gums. I want to pray effectively. When I pray, I want change to happen. Yes? Amen. Yes, change to happen. So our first piece of armour is the belt of truth. And uh, we're going to consider how it helps us. 
to be willing and able to stop the devil's schemes and pray well for each other. Well, it's helpful to appreciate that the belt of truth is not a strip like we might be used to wearing. I read this. The band, so immediately we're, going, we're getting a bigger picture. The band, usually about six inches or 15 centimetres. Do we agree? Anybody that's good about 15 centimetres? You know, here, yeah, yeah. Are we happy with that? Six inches or 15 centimetres wide held all the most important weapons at a soldier's disposal as well as equipment, ropes and food rations. Also, the belt supplied core support. Since a soldier carried more equipment than most, the belt helped him remain upright, stable and strong while on his feet all day. The belt of truth is a resource of provision and it supports us to carry weight. Well, 15 centimetres is wider than the belts that we might be used to. Getting into a delicate topic. I'm going to stand back around here. Um, okay, come on. I want you to be thinking ahead of me so you don't make it any harder than it has to be. We're thinking about a Roman soldier. I think back in the day they were always men. We're thinking about a belt of truth that's maybe 6 inches, 15 centimetres wide. Now, that's great. You don't know where I'm going? Okay, if I was a man, I'd like this belt a bit longer. And I've looked at pictures. And it very likely was. The belt of truth, it had this band, but then it had strips that came down, affording more coverage and protection. And all the men can uncross their legs. <laughs> it's good you're covered. So the soldier's belt, the soldier's belt protected, okay, I'm going to stay on this same idea, it protected the reproduction bits. And internally, it protects the bits that, these are my biological terms, um, it protects the bits that determine waste. Same for us girls, it might not be on the outside, but re reproduction and waste, it's all down in here where the belt of truth is covering. Truth should determine what we reproduce and what we expel. Facts are useful. Experience is useful. I'm not dismissing them. But if they contradict his word, they can be a distraction. Let's pray what we want to see happen. That, to me, is reproducing. When the day of evil, remember it's coming, when the day of evil comes or conflict with God's nature challenges what we can prayerfully believe, that's when we expel those thoughts. Let truth be the final authority because that resolve 
will keep us standing. So again, Paul is looking at or remembering what a Roman soldier looks like and he considers the breastplate. The breastplate protects the heart, the lungs, and I'm sure there's other important bits in here as well. So what spiritual symbolism might Paul apply that we will be with, um, equipped to withstand the devil's schemes? Righteousness. It's the breastplate of righteousness. So when someone gets a medal, where do they wear it? Around their neck, hanging on their chest. An award might be a ribbon bar, it might be a badge. You, always, you wear them on your front. This is where you wear the accolades of men. Awards, medals, badges, they're given in recognition or appreciation of our efforts. Paul himself quotes many reasons in Philippians 3 as to his qualifications to boast before he acknowledges they are nothing compared to what Christ has done for us. You know, we physically indicate, this is me. If you've only got the audio, I am patting my chest. Okay, this is me. This is me. This is my identity. This is me. This is who I am. So an attack here is always personal. The devil might attack our self-worth by pointing out we haven't achieved much. We have very little recognition from man. He might get really nasty and say, you don't measure up. The good news is we don't pray from the position of what man thinks. Whether we feel worthy doesn't matter. That sounds harsh, doesn't it? We pray wearing the breastplate of righteousness, which accurately represents our position in Jesus. We're righteous in him, we're righteous before him, and that's the position from which we pray. So I read these definitions of righteousness. It's God's judicial approval. It's also the state of being in proper relationship with God. When we pray, we're wearing this armour of God so that we can pray well. When we pray, know that he loves us, he accepts us, and he is listening to us when we pray. <laughs> Paul next moves down to the soldier's feet. Feet which take a soldier into war and violence and aggression. The Roman soldier's sandals had very thick soles to protect the soldiers, well, to be comfortable. They didn't want the soldiers getting blisters and whatnot. But also to protect the um, soldiers' feet, of course, as they're walking or marching, fighting over all sorts of different, difficult terrain. They also, these Roman soldier sandals, had hobnails hammered into the base of them. And that was to give the soldier traction. But I wonder also if it isn't also essentially another weapon underfoot 
so that they can kick the enemy and stomp on the enemy. Well, all this violence, and Paul likens these Roman soldier sandals to the readiness produced by the gospel of peace. You saw that coming, didn't you? Yes, violence and peace. Well, you know, there's a saying that freedom is not free. And the peace Jesus provides us freely cost him everything. And it was violent. Peace is powerful. Whereas the Roman soldiers mobilized to conquer and control, we advance to bring connection and acceptance. Jesus' death on the cross for our sin and then resurrection was to make the way for all mankind from separation to reconciliation. Our feet are protected, our stance is secure, and our mobility is possible because his victorious peace is the buffer between us and this natural world. His peace protects us when life is rocky and it gives us purpose to proceed, whether that's physically or prayerfully. All these pieces of armour which God provides are so that we can still be standing on every evil day, confident and equipped in our resolve and ability to pray for each other. And we come to the Roman shield. It's a good one. The Roman shields I've read at this time were as big as a door. So it's a no-brainer. That's a lot of physical protection. They even clipped together with other shields so that an attacked Roman army could basically make a wall of protection. So knowing this, Paul likens the shield to our faith. I especially like the idea of clipping our faith together, side by side, adding to each other. Sounds very much like better together to me. But wait, there's more. In verse 16, it says that with these shields, we can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Your translation might say fiery darts or something similar, but you know what's the same? The projectiles are on fire and our shield puts them out. Again, I ask questions. How can this be? Research helps. These shields were not yet made of metal. So the soldier would soak their shield in water before a battle so that the enemy's flaming arrows were extinguished on contact. For our symbolic shields, the word of God is the water which increases the effectiveness of our faith. And that's so that the flaming arrows or demonic schemes are stopped. 
So personally, I water my shield of faith by remembering the names of God. I've chosen some favorites. El Elyon means God Most High. You want a flaming arrow coming at me? I've got God Most High has wet my shield. I am, that flaming arrow is being extinguished because my God is God Most High. I also like Jehovah Shammah. That's God ever present. I might be in the fight, but I'm not alone. God has never left me. God has never left you. Never has he left you. And then Jehovah Jireh, it is one of my favourite songs. And, and Ellie even mentioned this morning, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. It makes it easy when it rhymes to remember. But I read this scripture that it comes from in the message translation and it says Jehovah Jireh, he sees to it. Lorraine shared testimony this morning. God saw to it. All those details. I love the names of God. I find there, personally, they're an easy way for me to soak that shield in water that I can extinguish the flaming arrows that come against. Something else I find encouraging about this pictorial connection of a shield as big as a door... Imagine our faith as big as a door. Now, I'm speaking very um, loosely. I know the purists in the room are already thinking as small as a mustard seed. But I suggest we more often struggle with thinking our faith isn't big enough. Is that just me? How bold would we be in our prayers if we believed our faith was big? So at last we come to a piece of armour <laughs> that's more relatable. It's the helmet. Cyclists wear helmets. We know what this one looks like. Protects our head. In our head we've got our brain. We've got our thoughts. It's the control centre of who we are. Paul, weighing up all his options, he likens it and calls it the helmet of salvation. Paul often reminded the Gentiles that being in God's family was not dependent on whether or not they were circumcised. Salvation doesn't judge eligibility on anything we can bring to the table. We can't be too bad. And we can't be too good. Jesus did everything required and the only way to be saved is by believing in him. And seriously, just go back and read chapter 2 of Ephesians again because it spells all of this out brilliantly. So with regards to the way we think... Oh, inferiority, condemnation, guilt. These thoughts don't belong in our salvation-helmeted head. And I understand they can sound very convincing because they're inside our head. But they're not true. 
They're not true. They're external attacks. They're not our thoughts. They're not our thoughts. They're external attacks to bring us down and render us ineffective. But we know that so we can stand against it. We can stop those demonic schemes. You see, we are highly valued by God, highly valued, and he's patient with us as we let that truth rise up and push out those thoughts. And then we need to replace them with his thoughts. He loves you. He always has. And he always will. You cannot do anything that will make him stop loving you. His love is constant. When we pray according to God's thoughts, there's a radical idea. When we pray according to God's thoughts and his ways, our prayers are charged such that a heavenly reality can invade our natural circumstances. Well, next we have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. <laughs> when I imagine this sword, I think I more imagined a lance, you know, like from here back to this. <laughs> I want a <laughs> really long sword. Let's just keep the, the problem at a really far away distance because I don't know how I'd... Anyway, never mind. What I learned is that this sword... This sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, is close contact length. <laughs> Not as exciting, is it? No, no, no. Close contact, which means there will be close opposition. The sword is a specific scripture which Holy Spirit has brought to life for us. And I can best explain this with an example. Uh, some of you may remember a few years ago, my brother-in-law was deathly ill. And while we were not given any medical hope as to his recovery, my belt of truth wanted to expel that counsel. Seeing him hooked up to machines and unresponsive was very confronting. But the sword in my hand was John 10.10. 10 the end of which says, have and enjoy life. Did we end up with it? No. It goes, it says, have and enjoy. It is there now? Sorry. Look at that. I came that they may have and enjoy life. This is the sword in my hand, people. And have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. How good is that? That was the sword in my hand. I'm sure many scriptures would have been perfect. But that was the sword in my hand that I could have close compact contact with that diagnosis with confidence and faith. That's the sword you want in your hand, one you're confident and have faith in. It's the word that Holy Spirit has brought alive to you. So Paul has described the armour of God. We each need to wear with reference to a Roman soldier. The armour of God protects and equips us to stop the devil's schemes. As we've considered the locational placement of each piece, we've seen how they relate to our new nature in Jesus. 
We've seen how it can energise our prayers. But Paul's not finished. I nearly am. Verse 18, verse 18, the second half. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. You see, the together language comes as we appreciate the Roman army marched into battle in company. So be alert, be observant, be willing to help someone with your prayers. Someone might come alongside, might come up to us, and their shield is a bit singed. The flaming arrows have been too relentless. We can come alongside and stand with them. We can clip our shields of faith together, soaked in the word of God. And that's important because, you know, those Roman soldiers with their shields, they didn't, you know, soak them on January 1st and that was it for the rest of the year. No, no, no. Before every battle... Before every battle, they soaked their shield in water. For us, the word of God. For those watching from home, you know, together is not impossible. It's a bit more difficult. We kind of need you to reach out. You can make, send messages, send emails, send, make phone calls. But being physically separated does not have to mean you're alone. This is a journey. Life is something we need to do together. We're better together. Would you all stand, please? (laughs) This series through Ephesians has been called Better Together. And I've taken that to mean that we're better with each other. But it occurred to me it also means we're better together with God. And I want to ask, do you have a relationship with God through Jesus? Jesus made the way. Do you have a relationship with God that involves no condemnation, no judgment? That's the relationship Jesus came that we could have. And I talked earlier about the pictorial example, how God might work with our imagination, you see. And I was up early enough to see sunrise this morning. Yes, I am bragging and boasting. The sunrise, if you were up this was exquisite. There were so many pinks in the sky. And a partnership with my imagination made me think, God's putting out the party decorations. Today's the day someone new comes into the kingdom. So if you don't have that relationship with God, maybe you are my sunrise this morning. You are the sunrise. God's put up the the decorations. He's ready for a party. He wants to welcome you. A relationship with no judgment. Come and talk to us in a minute. You see, we can be better together. So as we go about our day, catch up with those you know. Catch up with people you don't know so well. 
Because you're worth knowing. You're worth knowing. Spread yourself around. Let the love out. (laughs) Hey? Okay, let's just pray. (laughs) Father, I thank you that you gave us an armour to wear that would remind us of who we are now in Jesus. Father, I pray that the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, those shoes in the readiness of the gospel of peace, our shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. Did I leave any out? Maybe not. I think I got them all. (laughs) Father, I thank you for all of these pieces and what they represent to us. Father, I pray that these truths, (laughs) again, these truths, Lord God, I pray that these truths would settle deeply in us. Father, I thank you for the imaginative and creative ways you speak to us. Father, do so this week. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear you talking to us in creative ways. Oh, Father, we thank you because you are so, so good. So, so good. To the people in this house, to those listening, to those watching, I say go empowered. Go empowered in his might. Go empowered in his love. Go protected in his might and his love. And be blessed abundantly. Amen. Amen. That's it. Housekeeping reminder. This Thursday night, 5 o'clock, Cup and Garden. It's a wonderful way, wonderful, wonderful way to start um, the, Easter, the Easter weekend. And uh, as I said, if you were my pink sunrise this morning, you need to have a relationship of your own with the Father through Jesus. Please come up and talk to us. Thank you very much. I hope you've enjoyed today's message. Remember to check us out at baysidechurch.org.au. And of course, if you're ever in the area, please pop in and say good day. Bye.